Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If you were killed for that, you'd probably stop doing that kind of thing, you know? I'm not advocating bringing it back, I'm just saying. It was probably a great deterrent. These guys should have known better. But instead, they've literally turned their back to God, to the temple, and they're worshiping the sun here. And not only was it wrong then for them to worship the creation instead of the creator, it's wrong now. It's wrong now for us to worship created stuff instead of the creator himself. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. God calls all of his children to worship him alone and to not let their hearts fall victim to serving any false gods. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to Ezekiel to explore exactly what God shares to this prophet through a vision about the condition of the Jewish people. It is clear that they let themselves fall away from God and that it started with them not protecting their own minds. They didn't keep themselves from thinking of things contrary to God, and his jealousy was aroused as a result of their sin. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, as he begins his message, Harnessing Our Thought Life. We're here now in the book of Ezekiel, and uh, we're here in chapter 8 today. As a way of just a little background before I read from chapter 8, the Babylonians have spent uh, the last 20 years besieging Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. And in the course of those 20 years, they have been taking Jews captive the thousand-mile journey back to Babylon, deporting them back to Babylon. Among the captives taken in 597 BC was this guy, Ezekiel. His name in Hebrew is pronounced Yehezkel. His name is the Lord of Strength. And he's 25 years of age when he's taken captive by the Babylonians, deported to Babylon, along with thousands of other Jews. Five years into his new life in Babylon, at the age of 30, the Lord appears to him, and the Lord calls him to be a prophet to the Jewish people now living in Babylon. So they've established their lives now there, those who have been deported to Babylon. They have established their lives there. In fact, When the opportunity comes for them to return to their homeland 70 years later, those who are still alive or the next generation after them, most will refuse to go back to Israel uh, because they become so absorbed in the culture of Babylon that they decide to stay there. Ezekiel has been called to prophesy to minister to the Jews living there in Babylon at the same time that Jeremiah was called by God as a prophet to minister to the Jews living still in Judah. So God's got his prophets going in both locations. And Ezekiel ministers there in the Babylonian territory, and we're talking on a map today, modern Iraq, uh, the ancient capital city of the Babylonian Empire, Babylon, located right on the Euphrates River. So that's where 
this is taking place. The exception here is that in chapter 8, God does not physically take Ezekiel back to Jerusalem, but he takes Ezekiel to Jerusalem with a vision. And Ezekiel is going to be shown things by God of what is happening back in his hometown. And so that's what we're about to read here in chapter 8. And you have to bear in mind as we're also looking through Ezekiel, the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel are written prior to the destruction of Jerusalem about the destruction of Jerusalem. So that doesn't happen until 586 BC, but he's first deported there in 597 BC. So the first 24 chapters of this book of Ezekiel have to do with the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Chapters 25 to 27 have to do with the actual destruction. And then chapters 28 to the end of the book have to do with future things. We talked last week, future things that haven't even yet happened in our lifetime. And so we're going to get to some prophetic stuff still at the end of the book of Ezekiel. But for the time being, here in chapter 8, God shows him this vision about things that really are going to help us to understand what contributed to the demise of Jerusalem and why it was that God chose to discipline his own people that he loved so much by some of the things we see revealed here in chapter 8. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 18 verses, so don't let that you know, wig you out. You're like, he's going to read a whole chapter. It's all right. Sit back, relax. You have no place to go. It's raining. <laughs> I'm going to read all of chapter 8. So here we go. And it came to pass... In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And then I looked, and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his waist and downward fire, and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber." Then he stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my hair, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God, see, not literally, but brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the image of jealousy was, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision that I saw in the plain. And then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, was this image of jealousy in the entrance. We'll talk about what that is in a minute. And furthermore, he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary? Now turn again, you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall, And then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations, which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay... 
women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence, and then they have returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they put the branch to their nose. That's another way we would say today they thumb their nose. So they're thumbing their nose at God. And therefore, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So we're going to make sense of all this. I know it's a bit of an enigma. It kind of baffles the mind, but we're going to unpack this chapter today, and it'll make more sense as we go. Let's first have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word today, and I thank you for each person here and those watching online. We do pray for you to visit us in a personal way, that you would translate an ancient story in a way that is helpful to us, Lord, that we might grow in our own relationship with you through the knowledge and understanding of your word. So, Lord, thank you for ministering to us through the pages of Scripture. Do your good work in our hearts today. Help us to be receptive to what you would want us to learn. And we love you and we thank you that you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So when this chapter opens up, Ezekiel writes here about this occasion when he is in Babylon. Now that's where he's living. He's in his own house in Babylon, and he's in the living room of his house with some of the elders of Judah who have been deported with him from Jerusalem. And there they are just having a casual afternoon together, sitting in his living room, sipping iced tea, eating Chick-fil-A, because that's what Christians do. And all of a sudden, as he's with these guests of his in his own house, the Lord gives him a vision. This is all a vision now. He was not like physically transported to Jerusalem because he says specifically in verse three that the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. So it's not literal. This is a vision that God is giving him. And God lifts him up in this vision between heaven and earth to give him a bird's eye view of Jerusalem. And in particular, what we note in chapter eight is he's going to give him a bird's eye view of the temple court area. Uh, because at this time, the temple's not been destroyed. It's prior to 586 BC. So he sees the temple of Jerusalem there, the temple of God. He sees the courtyard area, and God shows him different things so that Ezekiel gets a better understanding as to why God is just in bringing his judgment against the people whom he loves. He's going to allow the Babylonians to come as a form of disciplining the people that he loves. And so, in a sense, what he is saying to Ezekiel is, come with me, I want to show you some things that are going on here in Jerusalem. You get a better idea of why I'm about to do what I'm about to do. The first thing that Ezekiel sees here when he's kind of lifted up and given this bird's eye view of Jerusalem is in verse 3, what is called here the image of jealousy. He says, I saw the image of jealousy. That phrase is used twice there. And it's an idol. It's a particular idol. And it provokes jealousy with God. You know, listen, God even listed one of the Ten Commandments. It's commandment number two about not having any other idols. 
And in fact, he says there in Exodus 20, verse 5, when he lists commandment number two about no other idols, he says, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. Now, he's not insecure. He just despises the fact that people would give their attention and affection to inanimate objects, things that can't help them, things that don't work for them, things that don't love them. It's really a travesty, and it's a commentary on man's desire to worship something, even if it's the ridiculous worship of something that isn't even real, and God is jealous about it. He is provoked to jealousy over this kind of nonsense. And so here's this idol, and Ezekiel sees it, and what we come to find out is that it's a particular idol with a name. Here in this eighth chapter, you may have noticed in verse 14, let me read it again in verse 14. It says, so he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Now, circle in your Bible, Tammuz, that's the name of this idol. That's the name of a god of the Babylonians back in this day that the Babylonians worshipped, and Ezekiel here is appalled. He is dismayed to see that Jewish women in Jerusalem are weeping in their worship of Tammuz. The name Tammuz only appears here in all of the Bible. There's no other reference to him by name than right here. This is the only place. Who was Tammuz? So Tammuz was a Babylonian god, a mythological Babylonian god they thought was real, and he was the god of life and vegetation. And so they believed that all green things and life and vegetation were attributed to Tammuz, but that every fall at the end of summer, Tammuz died. And that's why the vegetation would die. You know, when we hit the season of fall, things start to die. It's just the season of life and it's the rotation of the seasons and God is the Lord of the seasons. But unfortunately, at this time, the Jewish people were persuaded to believe in the Babylonian gods and the gods of the Canaanites and other gods. And so the women are believing that Tammuz, oh, it's fall and things are dying. And there was this myth that every fall Tammuz would die and have to be revived. And that's why vegetation died. And so the women are weeping about this. Now, this does coincide with the season because at the beginning of chapter eight, Ezekiel actually gives us the timeline. And when you translate when he says this occurred, according to the Babylonian calendar, it would have been September the 17th, 592 BC. And so it's fall time. Things are dying and decaying. And the Jewish women in Jerusalem are weeping. Oh, Tammuz is dying. And the Babylonian myth was that he would die, go to the underworld, and then his wife, Ishtar, would have to rescue him every year. And she would bring him back to life in the springtime, which is when everything would bud and blossom. And so they're like, hooray, Ishtar has saved Tammuz again. That's the way they would worship. Now, how pitiful is this? How pitiful is this, that the God you worship dies every year and has to be revived by his wife? I mean, what if one year before Tammuz dies, they get into a fight? And Ishtar's like, didn't like your attitude, not bringing you back. I mean, what kind of a God is reliable like that? Where he has to be brought back because his wife revives him. And so then they would worship the spring and Ishtar and all this. So listen, this is all nonsense. And Ezekiel is seeing this. He's saying, oh, the women are weeping. This is so sad. The Jewish women are weeping over Tammuz because it's fall time and things are dying. And so he's grieved by this. What kind of a God is worth serving who dies every year and has to be revived? Well, then Ezekiel sees something else here. 
you'll notice again in verse 15 and 16, verse 15, God says, and have you seen this? Like, you know, in other words, like, if you think that's bad, get a load of this. And in verse 16, so he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. So again, here's something else that Ezekiel sees as part of this vision. God is pulling back the curtain of Jerusalem. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to see what's going on here among your own people. This is the reason why I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. This is the reason why you're in Babylon that I've put Jews there captive for 70 years as a timeout to make them realize you got to get your act right. You got to get right with me. And Ezekiel sees here 25 men in the temple courtyard area, backs to the temple, facing east to the rising sun, and they're literally, verse 16, worshiping the sun. Now, some of you come close, you know, you know how you are. You like to go to the beach, lather up, lay out there, oh, the sun god, but you're not really worshiping the sun, so I know. We just appreciate the sun and all that. They're actually worshiping the sun. I mean, they're bowing down to the sun. They're seeing the sun as a literal god, and they've probably adopted this from the Egyptians. The Egyptians worship the sun god Ra. And so they are now worshiping the sun. And Ezekiel sees this and he's grieved about this. Now, who are these 25 men? Based on the location and based on the number, he says about 25, these are likely the priests. The priests, the spiritual leaders of the day, because they are located at the inner court of the Lord's house, which is the temple of God. And it tells us also in verse 16 that they are standing there between the porch and the altar. Okay, that's where priests would serve. And it says there were about 25 men that he sees. Well, First Chronicles 24 tells us that the priests who served at the temple would serve in rotations of 24 at a time. 24 at a time plus the high priest meant 25. So no doubt what Ezekiel is seeing here are the priests. Priests are worshiping the sun... S-U-N, they're worshiping heavenly bodies instead of God himself. And not only was it wrong, it was expressly forbidden as a capital offense in the Mosaic law. I'll read it to you. You don't need to turn there, but it's Deuteronomy 17 and verse 3. God condemns any man or woman who has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, either the sun, the moon, or any of the host of heaven. And then he adds in Deuteronomy 17, verse 5, God says, here's the penalty. Then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. That's how much God was like, don't be doing this. Don't be doing this. This is a capital offense. Now, you are probably like I am, glad that we live under grace now, right? Okay? But I guarantee you, if people who are all into their signs and, you know, they get into the whole astrology thing, the worship of the stars and like, what's my sign? You know, what's my? if you were killed for that, you'd probably stop doing that kind of thing. You know, I'm not advocating bringing it back. I'm just saying it was probably a great deterrent. These guys should have known better. But instead, they've literally turned their back to God, to the temple, and they're worshiping the sun here. And not only was it wrong then. For them to worship the creation instead of the creator, it's wrong now. It's wrong now for us to worship created stuff instead of the creator himself. 
And there is kind of this obsession today with just earthly worship. And look, I'm all about take care of the planet. It is something that we've been entrusted with. But it's like, seriously, carbon footprint, really? I mean, all of this stuff, I recycle because I'm supposed to, but I don't want to. Like, I have an attitude about it. Whenever I drag my recycling to the curb, I'm like, why are we doing this? And have you heard recently that it's actually costing more money and it is less productive to recycle than if they just, anyway, I go off and I digress. Back to the story. They've inverted this. It's like, can you imagine if your mom makes you a sandwich and she gives you the sandwich and you're like, oh, you wonderful sandwich. Oh, I adore you. Thank you, sandwich. Oh, sandwich. Oh, all you ham. Oh, and you cheese. Oh, and you rye. Well, if you're gluten-free, Mr. Udo's gluten-free bread. Oh, I thank you, thank you, thank you. I just love you, sandwich. And your mom is standing there going like, uh, hello, could you just say thank you to me? I kind of made it. This is how we are when we worship what was made instead of the one who made it. God is the creator. And these are the spiritual leaders. So here's what you have. You have the women of Jerusalem worshiping and weeping over Tammuz. And you have the spiritual leaders, the men, the priests, turning their back on God and worshiping the sun. God's like, you see what's going on here? Now, there's one more thing here that I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at that I skipped. If you go back to verse 7, I want to read verses 7 through 12 again. And this part applies to every single one of us. I want you to pay particular attention to this part between verses 7 through 12. Here's what it says. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked... There was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations, which they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood Jazaniah the son of Shaphan, and each man had a censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols? For they say, the Lord does not see us, the Lord has forsaken the land. There's a very important part in the middle of this chapter here that I want us to focus on in our remaining time. Where is Ezekiel in this vision, and what is it that he's seeing? So in this vision, he's in the temple area here, the entrance to the temple court, and he sees a hole in the wall. And God says to him, go ahead. And he looks through the hole. He can't see through the hole. God says to him, go ahead. I want you to start breaking the wall down at the point of that hole. So Ezekiel's trying to peer into something that is at this point not visible. God says, go ahead, tear down the wall. Ezekiel tears down the wall, and when he does that, he comes to a door. Again, this is all a vision, because in the courtyard, there was not a hole that he had to tear down a wall in order to get through a door. This is all symbolic. God is taking him to a place that is otherwise hidden. Thanks for joining us today in the book of Ezekiel. This prophetic book brings not only an understanding of things in the past, but also things that are ahead. 
Much of Ezekiel predicts God's judgment in order for people to turn back to Him in repentance. Repentance and devotion were what God wanted then and what He wants from us now. If you're enjoying learning about God's character and plans through this book and how it relates to the here and now, we encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel on your own. You can also listen to more of Pastor Gary's teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to take them on the go. If you're looking for some additional resources to aid your time of study in the Word, visit the teaching tab on our site for companion resources. On our website, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love for you to visit us, find service times and directions, along with more information at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're glad we were able to spend some time with you today. Join us again next time for more from Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse study in the book of Ezekiel, right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know